The Pre-Med Year, session number 303. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the Pre-Med Years, part of the MedEd Media Network, and if you didn't know, we have several other podcasts on the network, including the MCAT podcast, where we talk about MCAT prep. We have the old pre-meds podcast for non-traditional pre-med students, where we take questions from the forms over at medicalschoolhq.net slash forms. We have specialty stories where I interview physicians about their specialty. And we have several others, including some podcasts from medical schools and an application service. We have the Short Coat podcast from Iowa the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine, and we have new on the network, the TMDSAS podcast. If you're planning on applying to Texas medical schools, you apply through the TMDSAS. So lots of podcasts, go check them all out at mededmedia.com. I want to ask you a favor. If you're listening to this, if you enjoy this podcast, if I provide any value to you, I would love for you to tell one person about this podcast today. Go tell one person. That's all. Free podcasts every week. Just go tell one person. All right. I have a great guest for you today. Somebody who I think will help hopefully um, relieve some of your fears, help uh, squash some of that anxiety that you have over the CASPER, the test that a lot of schools, over 30 now in the U.S. and, and several in Canada, are using in place of or in addition to the secondary essays all about the Casper. We have Dr. Kelly Dore, one of the creators, the developers of Casper from McMaster University joining us. Kelly, welcome to the pre-med year. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about Casper, but I want to first find out who you are so that students understand kind of your background and, and how you play a a role in this Casper world. So what is what is your background? How did you come to where you are today? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I am a right now a full-time faculty member at McMaster University in the Department of Medicine and the McMaster Education Research Innovation and Theory Program. And I got here um, by what might seem like not a very far journey. I actually uh, did my undergraduate and PhD here at McMaster in cognitive psychology and health research methodology, where I specialize in cognitive psychology and medical education or health professions education. And during my time at McMaster, I'd worked closely with uh, a lot of the, the medical school groups, and I actually had a role on the admissions committee very early on uh, in the 2000s, where part of my role was to look at the equivalent of what would have been our secondary examination. So I was involved in looking at the autobiographical submissions uh, of our students who wanted to come to McMaster for medical school, and they would write five short essays. And through that, I got involved in, in seeing the limitations and problems with that process and trying to figure out a different way. So I worked in conjunction with uh, the gentleman who was then the chair of our MD program, Dr. Harold Ryder, um, and he and I worked together to try and see if we couldn't figure out a solution to this and find something that was a little bit better. So through that process, uh, Casper got developed at McMaster. 
you you mentioned the inherent problems with secondary essays. The majority of med schools in the U.S. Uh, I don't know how how many in Canada are still using plain old secondary essays for mm-hmm. judging students, for evaluating students to to invite for interviews. What are the inherent problems in those secondary essays? Right, and I'll, I'll speak to that both from you know a, a psychometric professional standpoint, but also my personal experiences. So, um, personally, when I was reading the essays, it was incredibly hard to differentiate applicants. Um, it seemed that every one of them had read our website and, and knew that McMaster did problem-based learning, and everybody <laughs> really wanted to do that and be part of that. And uh, you know, we really have created this this perception that you need to be a superhero, I think, to apply to, to medical school, that you need to have done everything and seen everything and be everything to everybody. And really, at the end of the day, it became really difficult to figure out who the applicant actually was yeah. um, and to tell anything about them, let alone tease them apart or have any predictive value. And and that's sort of what the literature says as well, that you know the these secondaries, these reference letters and personal statements they just don't tell us anything about how the applicant's going to perform in the future, nor does it do a lot to actually tease them apart and, and separate them, uh, you know, from each other in terms of who's going to do really well and who's going to do not maybe as well. Um, and that's where we really figured we needed an additional piece to the process. We didn't want to eliminate so many applicants from our pool for those who we could feasibly interview by just using grades um, because our secondaries weren't really predicting much. It's it's funny you mentioned reading those secondaries and not really understanding who that applicant is. I heard that from uh, um, many people, many ad- admissions committee members, when they get out of an interview, the feedback is, I, I have no idea who this student is, because mm-hmm. they came in so prepared to give those key talking points in, in the example you gave of, oh, we have problem-based learning here at McMaster, and, and the, the student's seem to all go to the same website and all follow the same algorithms to to mm-hmm. fill out those secondaries to to talk about themselves or talk about why they want to go to the schools in the interviews and they're they're not telling their story which is something I try to harp on a bunch in this podcast. Absolutely and I I do the same thing I try and harp on the exact same point so you and I can echo it together that the most important thing is to leave the whether it's an interviewer or the person reading your secondary or when you're completing your Casper leave people with a sense of who you are and, and, you know, why you want to do this, not, not what you just think, you know, is on the website or what you've Googled is the right answer, et cetera. Um, because that doesn't a set you apart, nor does it leave the interviewer feeling like they know anything about you. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So you, you are part of this process. You're seeing these inherent problems and you go, I know what I can do. I can make this online based test. That's going to, to demoralize students and go, I can't type fast and I have no idea what's coming and I'm so scared. When, when What was it like to sit down and and think up this Casper idea? Absolutely. And it, it really was not. I, I wish I wish the right answer had come to us really fast. And uh, it, it certainly didn't. I'll, I'll walk you through the, the years um, where we spent talking and trying to figure this out, because um, the process of starting to, to figure out what we could develop really started back in 2004, 2005, not to date myself too much. Um, but we didn't actually implement anything at McMaster until 2010. Um, and that was just our local solution. So you know, we took those years and that time to try and figure out what the, a better answer would be. Not, not that any assessment or any piece of the selection into medical school is a silver bullet. There's not a single 
test or, or um, assessment you can do that's going to give you everything about the applicant. But we wanted to get something that really opened that uh, door to the applicant and gave us additional information at a lower cost, um, you know, in a way that really didn't pro- put additional barriers in place of the applicants. And that's where we started to try and figure out. So we looked at what was going on. At the time that we developed the Casper, there was a huge push for social accountability in terms of ensuring that the people we were graduating were more than just competent, knowledgeable physicians, that they were people who, you know, could communicate with everybody, had, you know, the ability to put themselves in other people's shoes, et cetera. These were the people who would be more the holistic practitioner that we think about. Um, and it was the same time that Maxine Papadakis's work uh, has come out, Ryan, I'm sure you're familiar with it. But uh, for those of your listeners who aren't, Maxine Papadakis did an incredible review of graduates from UCSF uh, Medical School in California. And she looked at those graduates who had professionalism problems in practice. And she actually tracked that back and looked at how they're performing in school. And what she saw is that there was a strong correlation for those who had problems in training, that they actually led to professionalism problems in practice. Um, and so I think one of the things that we wanted to do is make sure that we were paying attention to that, that we weren't just creating an assessment of, you know, non-academic attributes to tick a box, um, because that's what we had with reference letters and personal statements, but we actually created something that was evidence-based that could help inform that so that we were graduating practitioners who would not only be incredibly smart and be able to to manage the the incredible demands that are placed on physicians, but who could adapt and function within the complex healthcare environment. Um, so along with that, we, we looked at the way we were asking questions. What you'll notice, and, and as we talk about um, preppable questions, what you tend to notice, a lot of interview questions, a lot of the secondaries even, tend to be what we think of as behavioral descriptive questions. So tell me about a time when you, so you might see a question, tell me about a time when you had difficulty coping with stress. Tell me about a conflict situation you had. Um, these are very Googleable questions, and if you you Google some uh entrance to medical school questions, you're going to see a lot of those. And what we find is that those tended to create the superhero phenomenon that we were looking at, where people had to create this incredibly complex scenario that they then solved. You know, it's almost like they've got a cape waving in the background um, after they solved it. But again, that's not what tells us about the applicant. So we turn to look at situational judgment test questions or SJTs. Um, SJTs are unlike behavioral descriptor questions, they give you a scenario that you need to respond to. So the one advantage inherently is that it levels the playing field. So you're not giving advantage to people who had the, you know, who didn't have to work, who had the opportunity to to volunteer elsewhere, or who people who know the healthcare system. You can construct construct these SJTs in a way that actually allows you to get a sense of the applicant and how they respond without a lot of the other um, construct irrelevant things that are should be influencing scores. So um, we were able to cre- look at creating SJTs or scenarios where applicants coming out of university, even if they had no healthcare experience, could respond to these scenarios at the same level um, as somebody else. So we created that level playing field. In terms of uh, the online nature, um, I will tell you that 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 took a little while and a little convincing because as we started to create that test or in the 2000 to 2010 um, or 2005 to 2010, 
the technology was barely there to create an online platform um, for what we were looking at. I, I know this may be sh shocking to everybody applying <laughs> at medical school right now, um, but we really didn't have a solid uh, internet in terms of displaying videos and being able to respond and um, the nuances of that. Um, but we knew we really needed to push for this online test. And, and the reasons behind that um, came from talking to accrediting bodies and other groups where we knew if we put this test in a test center, um, in order to create some test security around it and make sure that we knew who was writing the test, um, all of a sudden we were going to create a three to $400 cost in addition to actually writing the test mm. just for sitting the fee. And Canada, as you know, uh, is, is similar to the U.S. in that we have uh, maybe even more so some very vast remote and rural regions. Um, and we didn't want to disadvantage applicants who came from those areas. We didn't want applicants from Northern Ontario or from our Northern territories to have to travel to major cities and incur hundreds or thousands of dollars in additional costs just to write a test. Um, that was something we were trying to avoid. So <clears throat> that was part of the rationale for moving to that model. And we did try a lot of different things. We actually uh, tried uh, audio recordings. We tried um, having longer test times. And we looked at all the nuances to try and create what this final version of, of what we think the best Casper test is. So before we go any further, let's, for somebody who who has no idea what Casper is, right? We, we went in assuming that everybody knows what Casper is. What What is Casper? Absolutely. Sorry, I should have unpacked that earlier. I just, uh, I get so excited talking about it. So Casper is an online, primarily video-based situational judgment test. So these situations in, in out of the 12 scenarios, eight of them are video-based. So you would watch a 60 to 90 second video most often um, that presents the scenario for you. In the other um, four scenarios, there are text-based questions that you would read. After seeing the scenario, um, you answer three open-ended questions about your response to that particular scenario. These, these questions are written for you, these probing questions. Um, and you have five minutes for each scenario to type your open-ended response to the three questions. After the five minutes is up, it moves you on to the next scenario. Now, these scenarios are developed so that there's no requirement of the healthcare system, as I had already mentioned. Um, but it also blinds you uh, in terms of needing to have special knowledge or, or special skills or access to be able to answer these. So it doesn't require any knowledge of any of the individual schools necessarily or any of the nuances uh, of what's expected of, of early medical students. So the test has been developed in a way that it leverages the value of, you know, a bell ringer if people have done that or a multiple mini interview where you get multiple independent assessments of an applicant's performance. And so what's great about that for the applicants and the benefit of it, and it's very similar to a multiple choice test question, is that your performance on one scenario has no influence over how you're going to be scored on the other scenarios. So if you, out of the 12 sections on Casper, feel that maybe you didn't do well on one of them, that doesn't influence any of the other scores. And, and we'll dig into scoring, I know, later. Yeah. Um, but what actually the advantage of that for the applicant is, is that if you're nervous or you don't understand uh, feel like you gave a good answer to one of the questions, it doesn't impact you. Unlike a traditional interview or a panel interview or something like that where your answer to one question actually can bias the way your other responses are, are seen. So it is a way to, to leverage that multiple independent assessments in an online manner so it doesn't require going to a test center. 
um, in a way that actually assesses your non-academic qualities, complementary to things like GPA and MCAT to give the admissions pool, uh, committees a larger sense of who you are as an applicant. So the multiple mini interview, another uh, another fr- friendly, product. exactly another friendly product from from our friends up north in, in Canada at McMaster. Is that a coincidence that we have Casper and MMI both coming from McMaster, or are there similar team members working on the same projects? Absolutely. So Harold and I uh, were both involved in the multiple mini interview he, at the very beginning in its implementation and development. I've been involved in a lot of the research around it subsequent to its implementation. And I think the reason you see something like that is um, we had a, an admissions chair, Dr. Ryder, who was engaged and excited to push the envelope in terms of thinking he wanted to make sure that there was evidence behind everything that we were using. Um, and how could we get more and more evidence? So um, there's some similarities in, in that I think we, you know, or reasons behind it in that, you know, McMaster itself was a, a perfect Petri dish for the development of these things in terms of its willingness to be creative and look into these things. And I think you also had some like-minded individuals who were keen and excited to sort of try and develop something that was maybe better than the status quo. When you're looking at the Casper or the MMI the the end product what are you hoping to see from a student to to determine whether he or she is is worthy enough for that interview invite um what first of all i'll say that that's that's not a question i ever address that's left to the individual uh medical schools mm-hmm. uh, or the the admissions program so i think the reason for its implement is that we want to, like we have good psychometrically strong, you know, evidence-based measures of cognitive ability, have the same on the other side for these measures of non-academic abilities. So what we're hoping for, what the region that the test was implemented in the first place, and I think people are adopting it, is that there is added uh, value to the information that we get on applicants outside of just your academic performance. So we can tell whether somebody is strong academically, whether or not they're going to perform well on, you know, their their different portions of the USMLE or other components of the test. It has that predictive value from an academic, but we weren't seeing the same from a non-academic professionalism side. So the hope is that we're bringing in applicants now who have strengths in both areas. To what degree are the nuances of that is up to each individual school. What are the schools seeing from you guys? Are they, are they seeing a, a crazy, not crazy check mark? Are they seeing <laughs> a, a, a score from zero to 100? What, what exactly does it look like on, on their end? Absolutely. So the schools get um, a Z, Z score, or I almost said Z score, but I'm not sure that would mean something to people. <laughs> um, so we get a uh, uh, a, a Z-score, which really tells the applic- or tells the admissions programs how the applicant has scored relative to the other applicants um, who wrote that test. So um, what you end up with a, is a cumulative Z-scores for your and an app profile of your applicants to give them a sense of how that applicant performed on Casper as scored relative to the other applicants. Um, and I don't know if you want to dig into scoring, but it's a great I, lever. Yeah, I want to. I want to dig into scoring because uh, when you when you mention comparing students and the Z score, it, mm-hmm. it what pops into my mind is what pops into a lot of students' mind is how how am I how are you comparing an essay where I'm typing as fast as I can and there's typos all mm-hmm. over the place? How are you putting that into an objective manner? 
Absolutely. Um, so let me unpack a couple of things first is that we have data and evidence that demonstrates minor spelling and grammar mistakes don't count in terms of your Casper score. We tell applicants that and we tell the raters that, but we actually did the study to make sure across 27,000 responses that there was no influence of minor spelling and grammar mistakes in terms of a total Casper score. So that's something that should reassure people. We know within five minutes there's going to be spelling and grammar mistakes. I couldn't do it um, cleanly in that, that five-minute time window, so that's not something to worry about. We also have information on the fact that the faster you type, uh, this, so the more you have in your text box, you know, at least after a certain limit, doesn't improve your CASPER score. You know, we encourage you to use bullet points. Um, there's different ways you can do that, but let me unpack the raters for you. Um, a CASPER rater is maybe somebody different than some admissions committees. The CASPER raters are not all faculty members or academics. The goal, because we're testing non-academic uh, attributes of applicants, and that includes professionalism, ethics, empathy, collaboration, communication, those sorts of things, we want to make sure that the raters are representative of the population that the applicant may one day hopefully be serving when they become a health professional. And so what we mean by that is that the Raiders for Casper are a combination of demographically diverse raiders. Uh, so they can com come from community members. They can be different stakeholder groups, so patient advocacy groups, et cetera. They can be faculty members. Um, but the goal is that they have different ages, different backgrounds, different perspectives that they're bringing in uh, to evaluating Casper. Now, when they score Casper, um, there's a large onboarding that they have to do in terms of they have to write their own CASPER test so you can be reassured you're not the only ones. They know what you've gone through um, to give you a sense of, 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 to give them a sense really of what that's like. Um, and as well, <clears throat> the CASPER scores themselves, they're only scoring of the 12 sections. They're only seeing, so Ryan, if you're writing CASPER, they're only seeing your response to a single scenario. So for example, if I was a rater and Ryan, you were writing the CASPER test and you wrote all 12 sections, I would only see your response to scenario two. Mm. Um, and when I was given my responses, I would be given a few things. So I would have the opportunity to, to watch the video and know what the questions are, obviously. Um, but I'm also given a background in theory. That background in theory gives the raters a sense of what we're looking for within that particular scenario. So it gives you a sense of um, you know, the constructs that we might be trying to cover, the, the diverse things. So what you can be reassured is that in a CASPER scenario, there's no single thing that we're looking for. Um, there's no single right or wrong answer. And we convey that to the applicants and, and the raters um, as well. So the raters know that, Ryan, uh, if you're completing the test and somebody else was completing the test, you may say you might do completely different things, but both for very appropriate reasons. And that's um, the the value of having open-ended responses is that it's not a cookie cutter, it's not a single type of response, but our readers are actually trained to know that there's diverse ways to approach the problem. And it's not just what you're going to do, but it's why you're going to engage in that course of action that's so valuable to understand. Now, the, sorry, go ahead. The, the more you, you explain Casper and how it's graded, it, it sounds exactly like just an online version of an MMI, where I tell students the MMI, they just want to understand what your thought process is behind it. So really what you're doing is you're sitting in that room just thinking out loud so they understand where you're coming from and why you're doing it. 
And that's exactly it. So it's using the theory of planned behavior to try and understand the values and belief systems of the applicant, um, because it's understanding those which are going to give us a better sense of how that applicant and what that applicant's going to do in the future when they play, face complex scenarios. And they are complex scenarios that we try and give you. I always think a good Casper scenario is one that I don't want to answer personally <laughs> um, because it's, it's hard and it's tricky and it's complex because it really forces you to think through it. And the reason for that is that those are the scenarios that people are going to struggle with later on. What's an example of one, a short one? Uh, Absolutely. So the one that we have on our website now, and I, I will say that the website's getting updated with new scenarios. Um, so stay tuned uh, by the beginning of October uh, in 2018, and you'll have some new scenarios up there to look through and go through. Um, but one of the things, the scenarios that comes to mind is, is the one we talk about most often, um, which is where somebody is trying to return something to a store. Um, they don't have the receipt but they need it. Um, that's against store policy. The manager's away. Your role in the scenario, and I think this is one of the important things that we do, is that the applicants are always given a role. Um, they know what they're, how they're supposed to engage within that scenario. So their role is the more experienced employee. The junior employee is at the desk trying to manage this situation and, and manage the expectations of the customer who wants a refund, and then it comes out that she needs to buy her daughter a prescription for that particular um immediately so she needs the refund and she needs it today um, and she can't wait so it's against store policy what are you going to do and the employee turns to you as the more experienced employee looks at you and says what do you think I should do um, and it's sort of left at that and then there's three probing questions and the questions get at not just what you would do in that scenario but why so it would be as appropriate to say you would give the refund or as to not give the refund refund depending on what your reasoning is behind that yeah. and it's just the process of being able to express the reasoning behind it and making sure you're not making assumptions there's also the ability there to give answers that we would never have thought of and this is this is where i love open-ended um, responses and sort of seeing some of the the things that applicants come up with so fixed response sjts um You've probably seen examples of, but they give a scenario and then they have five options and they say rank these in terms of appropriateness. Mm -hmm. um, that's not the Casper test, but that's other forms of SJTs. And, and the limitation with those is that what if your answer isn't one of those, right? You're forced into a box of saying, well, this is the closest to what I think I probably would have done. So then you're trying to read the minds again of what you think the admissions committee wants you to do yeah. rather than actually talking about yourself and what you really, really would do. And it's when you talk about yourself, some of these answers that we're getting blow you absolutely out of the water um, and, and shock you in terms of, yes, that's absolutely a great answer. But unless you came from that person's background and their context, you would never have thought of it. Yeah, I do mock MMIs with students. And the majority of the time, it's a lot of the same stuff. And then every now and then I'll hear an answer. I'm like, wow, I never thought of that. That's that's pretty cool. Exactly. Like and that. that's where I think um, some of the richness comes from the Raiders as well, is that after they mark each 10 to 15, they're actually able to go back and adjust their scores. Um, so they're shown this is what you gave the last few, because sometimes when you're doing your early scoring, you may think something is a seven. And then after you've scored a few, you're like, really? No, that was that was a nine out of nine um, instead of just a seven out of nine. You know, that was really an amazing answer. So it gives you that flexibility to go back um, and really make sure that you're ranking applicants relative to each other. 
You talked about the the different raiders and ages and, and backgrounds, but that also brings different biases to the table as well. How do you adjust for, for individual biases? So the thing is, there's, there's always individual bias um, that's going to come into play in terms of any assessment. And I think what we strive for is an assessment to be as objective as possible. But the thing is, there's always subjectivity in everything we do. Um, there's always nuances to that. And even if we had, um, you know, a pool of only faculty who were marking Casper, there would still be variation in, in their perspectives and their biases, et cetera. Um, but we can control for some of it. And there's, there's a large amount of quality assurance that's done in the moment for our raters. So after a Casper test has been uh, written and it's sent to the raters to be scored, so I mentioned the onboarding for these raters, they also have to score a variety of Caspers that are old Caspers before they're actually released into the, the test itself. So they're not actually able to go through and score a Casper test until we actually think that they're ready and they've um, achieved a certain level of uh, thoughtfulness in their, their, their marking. And uh, despite that, even when they actually go in, we actually overserve responses is one of the things that we do as a quality assurance. So if I was marking Casper, Ryan, you would see 20% of the ones that I'm scoring, not knowing that you were seeing ones that I'd already marked and I didn't know that they were being sent out. But just as a quality assurance check to make sure that our raters are scoring properly. We also look for raters who vary. You know, uh, you've heard of hawks and doves in terms of scoring those that all everybody is horrible or versus everybody is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of their scoring, we're, we're watching for those as well. We're making sure raters are spending enough time on the responses. If they spend uh, 10 seconds on a response, we know they haven't read it. Um, and we do try and remediate raters who, uh, you know, we don't think are performing well. Um, but at the end of the day, we're not hesitating to reserve those Casper's tests to other markers to to score them again if we don't feel that the raters performing up to standard. Are there general rubrics that the raters are following, like like student showed empathy, student thought about this, student did that, or or is it really just what did you think? Score zero to ten. Well, they're given a background in theory, um, and so they do have that saying. This is what we were hoping would generally be covered in terms of the types of constructs, whether that's empathy and communication and collaboration or whatever combination it is for that particular scenario, um, because they each have multiple dimensions within the scenario. But we also spend a little bit of time in saying, this is why this is important in medicine, um, if they're working a US medicine test, for example. So we want to make sure that it's not just the, the word empathy that's shining bright to them, but rather understanding how that plays in creating the next generation of physicians who have strong non-academic qualities. And it's that process that we think actually helps them as well, understanding it at a deeper level. There are references that they get and things like that, um, but really it's the process of knowing where these constructs fit within the bigger scheme that is is helpful. We do want um, applicants to always, always, always um, make sure that they've unpacked their thinking in the response. And that's that's part of the the tips that we give every applicant. I'm assuming just like the MMI students are signing non-disclosure agreements when they sign up and take the Casper, how do you prevent scenarios from leaking and and how do you how do you account for students yeah. who get those scenarios and prepare to to answer the questions the way that they think they need to? Absolutely. So great question. Um, a couple of things. They do have an NDA that they uh, sign uh, confidentiality agreements. So by posting the scenarios, they are breaching that. 
However, um, in the in the age of technology that we're in, we unfortunately know to some degree that's going to happen. Um, if we see it on Reddit, et cetera, we we put a forward a cease and desist, et cetera. Um, but at the end of the day, each Casper test is comprised of new content. Um, so we make sure that there's it's all blueprinted to a general uh, test pattern. But at the end of the day, each test has its unique nuances, unique videos, uh, unique questions used, et cetera. So preparing for a test using old content actually doesn't help you. Um, and we actually did a research study around that. So one year, uh, I released four videos to everybody who was writing Casper and said, pay attention to these videos. You may see them on your Casper test day. Um, and I gave them some associated questions with them as well. On the test day, I used two of the videos uh, for their Casper test, but I changed the associated probing questions. So they had a chance to see the video before, but we'd switch the content around. And what happened is applicants actually did worse mm -hmm. on those previously seen videos than they did on novel videos they hadn't seen anything about. Yeah. Uh, so Reality it's didn't meet their expectation, which is always <laughs> exactly. the worst. And because you have a five-minute response time, it's very hard if you have pre-prepared responses to get that cognitive flexibility to actually answer the question. And I think maybe that's what you're reflecting in some of the MMI scenarios you've heard as well, is that... When people come in with too pre-prepared a response, too fixed a response, you're not actually answering the question that was asked. Yeah. You're, you're saying all the words that you think we want to hear, but really you're not answering the question. At the end of the day, if you don't answer the question, that's going to reflect worse on you than you know, uh, not being able to prepare. Yeah. So we actually find, and this is across SJTs as well, there's not a, an advantage to coaching. Um, and pre-preparing pre the materials actually can do you more harm than good. So we encourage people, you know, if you want to practice, if you want to take notes, feel free. But really, at the end of the day, that the more you can find a quiet space, sit back, you know, pay attention to the scenarios and just be yourself answering it, you're going to do better. So let's let's talk about that. A, a student Googling how to prepare for Casper will come across uh, 100 different companies and websites selling mm -hmm. Casper preparation. In your mind, you're saying just just take the test and you'll be fine. Uh, but the students are like, no, 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 no. We're all type A. I'm, I, I had to, to study a thousand hours to ace my organic chemistry. This is not how I do things. How do, how do you, you, you can't say that to a pre-med student. <laughs> no, I, I fully understand that. I fully understand. That. So, and actually even, so think about McMaster's, you know, as a, you know, medium sized Canadian medical school, um, in 2010, when we implemented Casper for the first time, three months before we implemented Casper, there was a test prep company that popped up. And so we know these test prep companies are not avoidable. Um, at the same time, we're going to, as much as possible, make sure we're leveling the playing field. We don't feel that there's any advantage to this, these coaching test prep companies, um, but we're going to make sure that you have access to the way to prepare for the test in a way that's accessible to everyone. So on the Casper website, when you sign up for a test, there's a few things. One, as you go through the technical systems requirements, it actually can take you through a Casper test itself. And there's, there's questions online as well for you to practice that are Casper scenarios. The other that I won't mention some of the test prep company scenarios that I've seen are nothing like the Casper scenarios. So don't use those as your preparation. Um, but on the actual website, you can sign up and you can take this practice test as many times as you want. So you can go through, you can become familiar with the format. You can spend a thousand hours doing that if you want to. Um, but the biggest thing is to write your responses and then go back and look at them. Actually, 
within that five minute time constraint, answer the response, then go back and look at it and say, what does that look like? You know, reflect and, and do a little personal reflection on your own response. The other thing I would say as well is that um, before you write your Casper test, everybody gets uh, an email with maximizing your success on Casper. So there's helpful tips that the company has created in terms of actual evidence that they found on tests. So one of them is to take the full five minutes to respond. I know that may seem obvious to many people, but there's some people who say, okay, well, I think that's good enough. But what we found is that people who are spending three and a half or four minutes aren't doing as well as those who, who spend a little bit longer on their Casper scenario. So make sure you're taking the full amount of test time. There's also a full webinar we've done um, to try and unpack some of the nuances of Casper that people can go to in terms of helpful tips and helpful preparation. But I mean, in all honesty, there's there's resources that are available for free that you can afford yourself to, to use as many times as you want in order for, to prepare. For the, the student who is self-conscious about their typing speed, I know you mentioned earlier there's no difference with typing speed, but I- explain from a test-taking standpoint mm-hmm. how how typing speed doesn't matter if what they're the the reviewers what they're scoring is the student's thought process and and ideas behind everything if if the student can't get those ideas out because they're a slow typer how does that affect them absolutely so um in terms of looking at typing speed based on you know the amount of content that's in there um once people reach a certain minimal threshold and i should say you know the other thing is along with that we're looking for a grade seven reading level Um, you know, after you hit that grade seven reading level in terms of your response, your score doesn't improve, which I think is really important when you're trying to think about, it's not just about how you're saying it, it's what you're saying as well. So we don't need, you know, master's level English prose in order to get a Casper response out. You can use bullet points. It's, it's, you know, making sure that you feel organized in your thoughts. You don't have to answer the questions in the order that they're uh, prescribed. You can answer them in any order that you want. So one of the things that we say is, you know, take a few moments and become familiar with the test format. If you're nervous about it, you can take the practice test to sort of try and see what it's like to get your thoughts down. You can give yourself some additional time and say, okay, what else didn't I think of within those five minutes? But really, um, at the end of the day, it's, it's finding that quiet spot to do it and making sure that when you do it, you can be reassured that you're not disadvantaged if you, if you use bullet points or anything like that. And at, because we make the Raiders take the Casper test, they've been in your shoes. They know what that's like. So don't panic if your thought gets cut off. So if you're on your last response and you're typing your response and it gets cut off, don't worry about it. Just take a deep breath. And move on to the next scenario because you have a completely unbiased uh, raider who's ready to look at your next response as well. So, you know, if you didn't get all of your thoughts down on the first response, then focus on the second response. Just take a deep breath between questions and and don't panic um, because a lot of people are in your shoes. Everybody has the five minutes. How many schools in the U.S. are using Casper? So this year, uh, thus far, there's 35 different schools using Casper, um, and we estimate it to be about 80% of the applicants who will be writing a Casper test. Wow. Okay. And what about and in Canada? In Canada, we've got um, seven of, uh, sorry, eight of the uh, 17 schools who are using Casper, and we also have a few uh, DO programs as well who are using Casper. Okay. 
And then the the student, I think for for a lot of students, they don't understand that you have to register to take the Casper. It's not like you just go to Casper and say, take the test now. You only offer it on certain days. How does that, what does that process look like? Absolutely. So the Casper test, because we put a lot of resources and effort into creating new content for each test, there's set test windows that you sign up for. So for U.S. medicine, the tests run between uh, May and February each year. But the important thing to note is that you need to look at if there's particular schools you want to apply for. Some of them have smaller test windows than that May to February. Some of them might have an October cutoff um, requiring their CASPER scores. So make sure that you're going in early and having a look and making sure that you can write in enough time. There's multiple test slots each month. Um, and that's only increasing in terms of the number of test spots open. You go in and you register for a CASPER test. You create an account, register for your CASPER test. If you wake up on the morning of your test and you're ill, you can reschedule your test. Up until you've started it, you can reschedule. Um, just making sure that you don't leave it too late because if you're sick on the last day of your CASPER test, the last day the test is available um, for the schools you want to apply for, then, then you are out of luck. So make sure you give yourself enough windows for that. Um, and then when you're ready uh, and you've signed up for your test window, we encourage applicants to do that technical response or technical requirements test, which is an opportunity to make sure that your computer uh, meets all the technical requirements. Now, the bandwidth required is pretty low. I mean, it's less than a YouTube video. But one of the things to think about is that this is actually a an opportunity to practice where you're going to write the test. So if you're going to go to your library, uh, at 11 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday to write your test, try and do the technical requirements at the same time. You know, if there's a children's program that's going on in the background where they're singing and dancing, then you're going to want to find another location to write your test. Um, so these are all little things to think about. You know, if if you're writing the test, um, make sure that your roommates or your family members know you know, they don't want to be downloading videos at that particular time as well. Um, you know, they want to just be, you want to be able to focus on that. So when you sign up for your test date, you write the test, um, uh, you can, there's live help chats, um, both before the test and during the test. If you've got questions or you want to make sure that your answers were submitted, et cetera, just to reassure yourself, um, then there's, there's, you know, a instant message style chat available for, for you during the whole time to get that. And then after that, your scores are logged. You can only write the test once a year, um, which is important because we've shown no advantage to writing the test multiple times. So we don't think that, you know, there should be people who would want to pay for that because just because of the nervousness of writers, uh, of applicants, sometimes we're worried that people might want to write it three or four times, but we've shown no benefit um, to doing that through the research. So it's a, just a one-time test writing. And then your results are shared with the programs you choose to distribute it to. So you make the choice of which schools you want to distribute that to. If that changes and there's another school that you want to add, you know, three weeks later, you can go back in and add that. And it's just a small fee for each school. It is. It's okay. a small distribution fee for each school. And if you apply or if you qualify for the FAP program, so for the fee assistance program, um, the Casper, all Casper fees are waived as well. Nice. Okay. For the the technical test to make sure your computer is up to snuff. What percentage of students fail that test and need to figure something else out? Uh, a very small percentage. I would say it's, it's, I don't know the exact number, but it's absolutely less than 5%. Okay. Um, because what we're requiring, as I said, is less than watching a YouTube video or yeah. watching Netflix. So, you know, most people have pre-tested their computers by default after having gone through that. Um, but we do want to make sure 
that your speakers are working, you do need a working webcam during um, the actual Casper test itself because yeah. it will be on during the test. That was my next so, question. How, yes. do you, how do you make sure the student is the student? So there's a lot of things that I can't talk about that we do. Okay. Um, obviously, because we know there's a very, very, very small portion of people who may try and game the system. Um, so there's some that we don't advertise, but one of the, the things that we do very overtly is that when you register and to sign up for your Casper test date, you have to have a valid piece of government ID that's authenticated. Um, and then before you start your Casper test, actually a photograph is taken and facial recognition software is used to make sure that you are you. Um, so you can't write it, you know, with a big hoodie on or sunglasses or uh, a mask or anything like that. It won't let you start your test. And if anything, if you do any of that during the test, it actually stops your test um, as well because the webcam's running the whole time um, and we're taking random um, images of people. Um, we're looking for more than one person in the room, et cetera, uh, for group test taking. Those types of things we capture with with that piece of the, the security software. Okay. And I should say, we've done another research project. You can tell I, I, I like these little research projects. Mm. Um, but we've actually looked at group test taking and shown... Uh, not only no advantage, but actually people who had to write Casper in a test had a preference for writing it independently the next time. Um, because of that five-minute time constraint, you don't have the ability to incorporate the thoughts of other people. And so we've actually demonstrated that it's a disadvantage to write in a group. Okay. What else do students need to know about that we haven't covered today? Um, one of the, the things I just sort of uh, wanted to, to highlight is the fact that Part of the reason we developed this was was a sense of fairness. Um, we really wanted to, um, you know, as part of our mandate at McMaster, is to create a test that measured these non-academic attributes at the same level and quality that academic attributes are, are being measured. And we didn't want to advantage people who have a healthcare background. Um, we also didn't want to go through the process of, of double counting. So for example, the raters who marked the test, not only do they not know how you scored on any other piece of the, the Casper test, but they also don't know what your GPA is or your MCAT score or any other aspect of your, your portfolio so that it's just the Casper test they're looking at. They're not influenced by other factors, which really shouldn't be influencing their scoring decisions. One other question that, that popped into my mind was how long from when the student takes the test to when the schools actually receive that Z-score? It's somewhere between two and three weeks um, for the scoring process to happen. So the raters are all online, as we said, because we do want them geographically diverse as well. Um, so they complete the tests online by the time we do enough of the quality assurance that gives us enough of a window to make sure if, if anything uh, if we need to reserve any responses, et cetera, that that gives us that appropriate time window. For the student listening to this and is still kind of a little bit anxious about taking the Casper, what final words of wisdom do you have for, for that student? I would say um, avail yourself of all of the resources that are on there. There's a blog on the takecasper.com website that you can go through to on tips and tricks and some of the research around it to reassure yourself about the value of the test and the quality of the information. Um, but know that the more you just can take a deep breath and be yourself, that that's going to make you shine through in this test. All right, there you have it. Again, that was Dr. Kelly Dore from McMaster University, one of the creators, the developers, the researchers behind the Casper. Hopefully, after listening to this podcast episode, you now understand what the Casper is, when you have to take it, how it is scored, 
what the scenarios potentially look like, and why you shouldn't go out and spend lots of money for Casper prep. I think that's one of the biggest things, biggest takeaways I want you to have today. A lot of students ask, how do I prepare for this? This test prep company is offering this prep. Should I take it? Should I not? Now, a lot of you will still go and take some sort of prep because you think you need it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think one of our Hangout members said it best, just don't be a psychopath. That was David Mortensen, now a medical student at Wake Forest. But he's like, just go take the test and don't be a psychopath. So as long as you're not a psychopath, hopefully you will do well on the test. Again, typing speed, uh, everything else. Hopefully we covered everything that you need to know. If there are still questions that you have, this podcast goes out Wednesday, September 12th. On Thursday, September 13th, I will post on Instagram in my story a, a question, uh, a Q&A that you can ask a question and I will relay those questions to Kelly and she will provide answers and we'll continue some Q&A to help give you more answers to help you on your journey to medical school. Again, I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to share it with one person today. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. Bye.